Psalm 100. I wonder if you noticed what country it was filmed in. Now, you certainly saw it look like it was in the country. There was farmland with fences and dirt roads. There were snow-capped mountains in the background, and so we might assume that it was the western United States. But if you think about it, that could describe a lot of countries. It could be Mexico, South America, Central America. Could be Western Canada, places in Europe. You might be scratching your head this morning saying, uh, Pastor Brian, what difference to Psalm 100 does it make where it was filmed in? Is that relevant to the psalm? Well, the place where this presentation of Psalm 100 was filmed is not the point at all. Well, what is the point? I wonder, let's read verse 1 together. Would you join me? Shout with joy to God all the earth. Let me tell you a little bit about the background of Psalm 100. It was used in worship at the temple. And as travelers would come across Israel to one of the festivals, they would be met by a worship leader. The leader would invite them to turn their backs on the temple and to face the nations of the world. And then facing the nations of the world, they were to repeat this psalm. Now I think we can start to see it, can't we? This psalm is an invitation. It is a missionary outreach psalm. The nations of the earth are being invited by God's people to join them in worship. The only people addressed in Psalm 100 are all the earth. Every command in this psalm is for them. So they are being invited to come to God to meet Him. And cannot we hear the words of Jesus echoing in the background? My house shall be a house of prayer for what? All the nations. Now, when the people of the world accept this invitation, some very exciting things happen. Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 100. You know that Psalms are in the middle of your Bible, and Psalm 100 is two-thirds of the way through. And I want you to notice the exciting things that happen when the nations of the world respond to this invitation. Look at verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. So there's joyful noise, there's gladness, there's singing. And the word serve here is a reference to a worship service like we are in this morning. So this psalm is describing all of the peoples of the earth rejoicing in worship to the Lord. I'm so grateful that we joined this morning the global hymn sing. Seventy countries, uh, multitudes of churches, hundreds of thousands of believers sang that song together this morning. And I want you to listen to what Keith Getty, who is behind the global hymn sing every year, said. He said, join millions of believers worldwide as we highlight the imperative need for the gospel to go to all nations. We pray that you will be spurred on to witness to Christ where you are 
and to partner in what God is doing around the world. That's what Psalm 100 envisions. The nations cannot contain themselves because of what they have experienced. Now, what is the point of this psalm? Well, the point of this psalm is this. It is God's heart for the world. And if we understand Psalm 100 and the heart that God has for the world, then we will have a heart for the world as well. Let's take a moment, shall we, and let's pray together and then ask the Lord to show us His heart for the peoples of the world. Father, thank You today that Your Word reveals the kind of God that You are. And thank you that as we look into the pages of Scripture, we look into the depths of the heart of the Lord for the peoples of this world. And thank you for this day that is uh, dedicated to joining with others around the world because the task is yet unfinished. And we want people to know the God who loves them as we have come to know him. Teach us now from this wonderful psalm in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice as we open up this psalm that the first thing that the Lord teaches us is a very, very important lesson. That God wants the world to know Him as the true God. You'll notice in verse 3, here's the invitation. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Now, this is an invitation to the nations of the world to know the Lord. And the word know there is a very interesting word in verse 3. It means to know someone relationally and experientially. It means to enter a relationship with. So it means to become a child of God who is a member of the family of God. Now, in the New Testament, you are called a believer when this happens. In the Old Testament... You are called somebody who knows the Lord. It is the very same idea. And then I want you to notice, this is an invitation to a very personal relationship with a personal God. When verse 2 says, come into His presence with singing, the word presence there is the normal Hebrew word for the word face. It's the normal word for the word face. Now, We recognize people by their faces, don't we? I look out into the audience and I see your faces. And if I were to meet you on the street, I I would know most of you immediately because I recognize you by your face. Now, listen to what God is saying. God wants the world to know Him personally, like knowing a friend face to face. Think about this with me. The nations of the world are not invited to know a distant God, but a very personal God. Let me ask you this question. When did God become the most personal so the nations of the world could know Him? Wasn't it at the Incarnation? Right? The Gospel of John opens this way. In the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So that a little later in John 14 and verse 9, Jesus can say, Who's ever seen me has seen the Father. God became the most personal to the nations of the world in the incarnation of Jesus. Let me show you something today that is very, very fascinating. I, I hope you will never forget this as you connect the New Testament into the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, one of the greatest visions that ever occurred took place in the temple in Isaiah 6.1. And there Isaiah came into the very temple that Psalm 100 is inviting all the nations of the earth to. And listen to what Isaiah experienced. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of His robe filling the temple. It was a marvelous vision of the Lord. Now what's interesting? You go to John chapter 12, and the Apostle John, in the Gospel of John, is talking about Jesus. And as he talks about Jesus, he references this vision of Isaiah. But I want you to notice now what he says about that vision, speaking about Jesus. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory, and he spoke of him, John 12, 41. Now notice then the conclusion here that we find in John 12, 41. It tells us that the person whom Isaiah saw on the throne was, read it with me, was Jesus. Was Jesus. Now come back to verse 3 of Psalm 100. The Lord, He is God. Do you know that's the fundamental truth of the Hebrew faith? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The fundamental creed and core belief of the Hebrew faith is the Lord, He is God. Now, what is the core belief of the Christian faith? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. 1 Corinthians 12.3 says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now let's put all of this together. Are you ready? Psalm 100 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's what we are seeing it here. He is the one who makes it possible for the nations of the world to come and to know. It is fulfilled in Christ. Now what does Jesus do that enables those who accept Him and experience His invitation to know God? Well, I want you to notice that there are a couple of things. Uh, let me just bring this little image slide up. And don't you love these image slides of the Lord Jesus Christ? With all of the titles and names of Him, can we ever exhaust all that Jesus means to us? It's not possible. But I want you to notice that Psalm 100 picks out three realities 
of all of these that are fulfilled in Jesus. Notice at the top, He is Lord of all. The Lord, He is God. And then notice another reality, way over at the side over here, He's Redeemer. And then one more that Psalm 100 picks up, if you look at the bottom towards the left, up to the third line, He is the Good Shepherd. Do you see all those three realities? He's the Lord of all, He's Redeemer, and He is the Good Shepherd. Now let's look at uh, just the, the two, the Redeemer and the Good Shepherd, as they're developed here, okay? Uh, notice verse 3. The Lord, He is God, it is He who made us, and we are His, we are His people. Now we might think that this refers to creation, but it doesn't refer to creation. It's not describing when the Lord created humanity. Rather, what this means is that the Lord created a nation out of slaves in Egypt, choosing them as His own people, a people who belong to Him alone. That's the creation that He's talking about here. So He had redeemed the Israelites from their past and freed them to be His very special people. Do you know, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said this, this invitation, that Jesus can be our Redeemer, it's for all people. Peter says this is for those who are far off to all who will be called by the Lord. And so this is fulfilled in Jesus who is the Redeemer. And then notice the psalm picks out this other point that He is the Good Shepherd. Did you notice that? We are His people and we are the sheep of His pasture. All that's involved in a shepherd caring for his sheep is pictured in this word. I think one of the best places in all of the Bible where we see what it means for Jesus to be a shepherd to his people is Isaiah 40 and verse 11. Would you read that verse together with me? This is what Jesus is to you and what he wants to be to all the nations of the world. Let's read it together. He will feed His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with His arm and carry them in His bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Did you notice four things He does? He feeds. He gathers. He carries. And He leads. If you're a Christian here today, God has done all four for you. I've been a believer now for over 40 years. I came to faith in my teenage years. And over the last 40 years, Jesus has done all four of those things for me. He has fed me with His Word for over 40 years. And I now know His truth and know who I belong to and who is my Lord and Savior and what life is all about. He has fed me with His truth. He has gathered me into His family. When I was a teenager, I began to hear His call in a way I'd never heard before. And I became a Christian. And I was gathered by His loving arm into His family. Over the last 40 years, I have been part of four local flocks 
that the Lord Jesus has gathered me into and who have enriched my life immeasurably. Then there's been times when I've been afraid. I was uh, fearful of the circumstances in my life. And just as the psalm says, He carried me. Close to His heart is the idea. So that even though I faced very fearful circumstances, I was always confident I'm not alone. But Jesus is holding me near. And then when I've needed direction in life, when I needed wisdom and when I needed counsel, when I needed guidance, what I discovered is that I found that guidance in the Word. I found it in the people that God had placed around me in His flock. And I never was ever in a situation where I did not know what God wanted me to do because Jesus led me. Those four things He will always do for every believer. He will feed, He will gather, He will carry, and He will lead. By the way, can you think of anything more the Lord could possibly do for us? Can you think of anything more? And what He does for us, this psalm is saying, He wants to do for the whole world. That's why we're going to Guatemala. Because this psalm is for the people in Guatemala who yet need to know Him. Now I want you to notice that there is another idea in this psalm, and the Lord wants the people of the world to know this as well. Knowing the true God, the world will experience the good God. Knowing the true God, the world will experience the good God. Look at verse 4. The invitation is given again. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, all the earth. Now notice, for the Lord is good, His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. Did you notice three attributes of God? Did you notice them? He's good, He's filled with love, and He is faithful. Now watch this, watch this. We saw three realities about the Lord Jesus Christ, did we not? He is Lord over all, He is Redeemer, and He is the Good Shepherd. And He wants the whole world to know Him in those three realities. And when the world knows Him in those three realities, then what do they find? They find they now know God in His three attributes. He's the good God, He is the loving God, and He is the faithful God. Do you see how this psalm fits together? God wants the world to know Him because He is the true God. And when they know Him, they will experience the good God. Say, so, by the way, to experience the true God is to experience the good God, isn't it? Isn't it? Do you know this word good in verse 5, it means gracious? That's the meaning. The true God is a God of grace. By the way, let me ask you this morning, are the gods of the nations gods of grace? Are they? Are the gods of Islam and, and Buddhism and, and the other world religions 
Are they gracious gods? You know what Muslims think about the Christian faith? I heard this many, many years ago, and I know that it rings true of what they believe. This is what they said. Allah does not have a son. And if he did have a son, he would not sacrifice him for the likes of us. It is inconceivable in the mind of a Muslim that Allah would ever be so gracious to human beings that if he had a son, and they say he doesn't, that he would sacrifice that son for us. I had a friend who was a missionary for many years on the campus of Michigan State University down in Lansing. And he ministered to a lot of people from around the world. And uh, one day he said, uh, one of his uh, Muslim friends that he was seeking to witness to had uh, left the Muslim faith. And this is what he said. He said, I stopped going to the mosque because I got tired of all the hate preached in that place. Allah is not a God of grace. You know that same missionary to Chinese internationals at MSU said he had to do a lot of pre-evangelism because most Chinese people are atheists. Did you know that? And you say, why? Well, it's because Buddhism is based on pantheism. And in pantheism, there is no personal God. So if you have no personal God, that leaves you with only one choice, the choice of atheism. You see, the God of Buddhism is not the good God who wants us to know Him face to face. He's not the God of Psalm 100, who says, Come, come, and know Me. Now, notice in God's goodness there are a couple of things he does. Did you notice Psalm 100 verse 5? He always loves because his redemption is eternal. When it says that, that uh, he has made us and not we ourselves, and it's talking about the redemption out of Egypt and making the people of Israel his people, how long will that redemption last? How long will your redemption last? Well, notice his steadfast love endures how long? Forever. Very interesting. This phrase, steadfast love, refers to covenantal love. It means that God is faithful to His covenant with His people. What it means is this, His promise is to be their God always, and to protect them, and to take care of them. It describes His special feeling of love for His people. And this is ultimately what Jesus did for us through the new covenant when He entered into a new and everlasting relationship with us. Listen to how it's described here in Hebrews 9 and verse 15. Therefore, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called, remember... It's for all those who are far off, for those whom God may call, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. 
This redemption, this steadfast love, it endures forever. And then notice this. He is faithful to all generations. God in His goodness always fulfills His promises, so His shepherding will never fail. When He says here, you're the sheep of my pasture, you're my people, here's what I will do for you. I will lead you. I will carry you. I will guide you. And I will direct you and gather you. How long will that last? Will it last throughout all generations? Because the Lord is faithful. It's a word that means dependable. We can count on Him to fulfill His promises. He will not only fulfill His promises to us, but to all generations that come behind us who will trust Him in the person of His Son. You know, over 30 years ago, I was in Texas as a student. And one day, uh, right around Thanksgiving, my pastor in Texas preached from this psalm. I happened this week to pull out my old notes uh, that he left in the bulletin that I took down uh, over 30 years ago now. And when I turned them over, on the back, I'd written down this statement that he made. In trials, you may forget God's promises, but He won't. I'm glad I pulled that out. I'm glad 30 years ago when my pastor said that, I wrote it down. In trials, you may forget God's promises, But He won't. Our confidence is not in our promises to God, but it's in His promises to us. And we may forget God's promises as we are going through the difficulties of life, but what this psalm is saying to us is that God never forgets His promises. When I was a student in Bible college many years before I was in Texas, the very first devotional I ever gave to my fellow students came from this verse. I'll never forget a young lady in my class after the little devotional coming up and thanking me for what I shared from this verse. I was probably 18 or 19 years old. 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Would you read it together with me? He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. And if you look at verse 23, verse 23 is about the completion of our salvation. It's about finalizing our redemptions in eternal heaven. It is about shepherding us all the way into the celestial city. What does this say? He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You see, when we come to know the true God, what we learn is He is the good God. And because He's the good God, He always loves us. His redemption is eternal. And He always fulfills His promises. His shepherding will never fail.
One of our missionaries uh, who is going to be with us this May is Wes White. Wes is in Scotland, and there he's having a, an amazing ministry to Muslim refugees and asylum seekers. If you saw his most recent email, he has 24 Muslims who are in a class every week studying about what Christian baptism means, and many of these Muslims are going to be baptized to give testimony of their faith in Christ. Now listen to what Wes wrote to us. Would you pray for one young man in particular? Let's call him Amez. Last night, Amez stayed an hour after all the others had departed. He wanted me to understand the change that Jesus has brought about in his life. His entire family were brutally executed by ISIS in northern Syria. A year ago, he was issued special benefits because of his severe depression that left him incapacitated, literally too fearful to leave the extremely modest flat that he shares with three other refugees in Scotland. Amez, writes Wes, is now a new person. He read me passage after passage from the Gospel of Luke that he said is his favorite part of the Bible. God is replacing horrible nightmares we can only imagine with blessed dreams of Jesus enveloping Amez in arms of love. He has little concern about his legal case pursuing a visa. All he wants, he told me, is to declare his faith in Christ by being baptized. Why is the Gospel of Luke Amez's favorite book? Well, I don't exactly know, but I do know this. Luke was written to Gentiles like Amez, wasn't it? And in the Gospel of Luke, it is telling us that the invitation in Psalm 100 is God's heart For the whole world. God wants the whole world to know the true God. And when they have found the true God, like Amez, they will know He's the good God. Let's bow together, shall we? And let's thank the Lord. Father, Thank you for your invitation to us. Thank you that when this psalm was written 3,000 years ago, that we were already on your heart. That you already knew us. The Bible says that our names were written in the Lamb's book of life from the very foundation of the world. And so when this psalm was written, and you spoke to all the nations, and you said to them, Come, know, experience, 
be redeemed and then shepherded. Know that it will last for time and into eternity. And that the faithful God, in spite of the times when we may forget His promises, will never forget them. Thank You that we were on Your hearts when this very invitation was given. And now we're experiencing all that Jesus has brought. Thank You, Lord, that You want to use us to continue to extend the invitation. We are working hard here at Bethel in Marquette because there are many in Marquette who need to know Jesus. And we should expand and be expended in every way possible that the message may be delivered. But Lord, thank You that our church has a vision for the world. And we're not just concerned about our little corner here in the UP, as important it is, and as much as you love this place, but we're concerned about the world as well. And the heart that you have is the heart that we have. Father, I I pray today for somebody here who maybe has not experienced this invitation. Maybe they don't know the true God, and maybe they haven't really experienced His goodness And I pray today that their hearts might be wedded, that they might understand that there is something about life they can experience, and it comes by knowing Jesus Christ as Redeemer, as Lord, as Savior and Shepherd. Father, I pray for others who uh, perhaps need to have a vision of what God wants to do through their life and how God wants to use them to extend the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ that we so wonderfully sang about when we began. Father, whatever it is that You desire to stir up within us, we are here today as Your obedient people. Our hearts are open to You. And we ask that You may do Your wonderful work in us and then use us as we reach out in the name of of our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we love, and we know we love Him, because He first loved us. Just before we sing and and we close this service, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, maybe you've seen Psalm 100 in a new way today, and maybe God has spoken to your heart. Maybe you're not sure that you know the true God who is the good God. And today, He wants to become a reality in your life. Maybe you're here and and your vision has been small, it's been limited. Maybe you are not uh, as passionately involved in what the heart of God is after. And today, you would just say, Lord, I want you to speak to me. I, I want to be obedient to you. I don't want life to pass me by and find out at the end. I gave myself to the things that really did not matter. And maybe the Lord today is is calling you, perhaps in a very specific way, to be a part of what is on His heart and the needs of this world that He sent Jesus for, to love, to die for, to rise again, that they might know the true and the good God. However the Lord is speaking to you, let Him have His way this morning.
Gracious Lord, thank you for meeting us. Thank you that your word is always relevant to right where we're living. And we love you today. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.